On this episode of the Hyperfast Agent Podcast, Carrie Schull presents at the 2020 Hyperfast Sales Summit. Listen in as she shares her reality check analysis to ensure you and your clients are on the same page. We hope you enjoy. Welcome to the Hyperfast Show, where we believe unlimited growth in business and life is created by surrounding yourself with people who have been where you are going. Learning from others allows you to compress time and grow hyperfast. And now, here are your hosts, Kerry Shaw and Dan Lesniak. Kerry and Dan are real estate developers, best-selling authors, billion-dollar agents, and million-dollar agent makers. And now, get ready to grow hyperfast. So real quick, if you have gone through this process with me before, I'm going to do two separate things at the same time because I like to multitask. I have almost four children, right? So if you've done the reality check analysis, heard me talk about it at some point in the past, I want you to take out your laptop if you're in the room. And if you're at home, I also want you to take out your laptop. Now, if you have not heard me talk about it before, Do not get out your laptop because you're going to miss critical steps and you're not going to take away the information that you need to, to truly have this be life-changing, which you guys know, this isn't just about you succeeding with one client. This isn't about you making a little bit more money. I want it to be a mindset shift about how you operate when you're working with buyers forever. Okay. When I speak in rooms full of 500 agents and I say, who does it the way that I'm going to teach? Do you want to know how many people stand up or raise their hand in a room of 500? Often none. Once in a while, there's one or two people who will stand up. Okay. Most of them have been at a prior presentation with me. Okay. So this is a real opportunity for a moment. I want you to close your eyes. Let me see them closed. Oh, I see you guys on zoom. Close your eyes for a second. I want you to think about a buyer client that you have met with recently that was completely unrealistic. What they wanted and the market did not align, okay? For those of you who have been through this process with me before, when that client comes to your mind, that's the client you're gonna do the exercise for, okay? So you can open your eyes again This process can help you if you do it on the first day. But for some of you, you already have a big pipeline of business. You already have 10, 15 clients that you're working with that are horribly unrealistic. Am I right? Right? And you're just waiting till they get exhausted. So I'm going to jump in. But I want, for those of you who have heard me talk about this before, today to be the day you solve the problem for the people you just visualized. So the fact is that over 85% of our clients are unrealistic. That's just the bottom line, what they want. And by the way, if I, like when I bought our second home in Florida, was I realistic? Absolutely not. I wanted to be on the water. I wanted to be walking distance to the beach. I wanted to spend a lot less money than I ended up spending, right? So this is just human nature. It's not a flaw in your clients or a flaw in how you're talking to them. The only flaw is if you don't shift it. That's the problem, right? So let me ask you guys this, and I'm looking for active participation right now, okay? 
What is the outcome when the client wants something that doesn't exist? Disappointment. They get upset. Disappointment. They're upset. What else? They want to just stop looking. They want to stop looking. They end up renting. Yes. They're angry at you. They're angry at you, which sometimes means what? They find another agent or they fire you. Or, for my high eyes in the room, what else do they do? Yes. Yes. Eyes. Eyes, because they, they're connectors. They're like, okay, John and I, we, I mean, he's a nice guy. So I can't tell him that I hired another agent. I'm just never going to call him back. <laughs> so some of you go, this is the weirdest thing. I had this client. We hit it off. Everything was going great. Then they just stopped returning my texts and calls. It was so strange. That's called ghosting. They do that when you haven't set their expectations properly. And then they end up being talked to somebody else. So here we go. They ghost you. We're going to run through these quickly. Weeks of wasted time. This is how a lot of agents process works. Okay, we'll go. We'll show them the market. We'll get them to adjust their expectations, right? They decide not to buy. They decide to keep renting. Eventually, they give up. But here's the consequence some of you don't even realize. Some of you are getting them to buy anyway because you're really skilled at what you do but they still feel you didn't listen because you're not having the right conversation up front to help them understand that you're the expert and have them feel listened to and like they understand the market. And so what is the consequence of them feeling like you didn't listen to them? Who said that? Did you say that? Yes, Marcus. They do not refer you. Because their fear, there's a lot of reasons people do and don't refer. But one of the main ones they don't is because they're afraid that their friend, family member, colleague, whatever, will judge them based on you. And if they don't feel listened to or that you cared, do they trust the process of referring you someone else? No. So it is very, very important that you make them feel listened to. <laughs> I, I love The Apprentice. Anybody else? Yeah. <laughs> All right. So... The big mistake that I see is that a lot of experienced agents do this. <laughs> yeah, that, that doesn't exist. Now, if you just met somebody and you're in the process of building rapport and you tell them, I'm sure you don't laugh at your clients like this, but it's what you want to do. You want to do that. You're like, oh, that is hilarious. You're about 50% off the price you're going to need to be at to get what you want, right? So when you tell them instead of show them it doesn't exist, then what happens? They don't like you. They're like, wow, I really thought she was nice. And then she wasn't because you're raining on their parade. So we have to figure out how to set the expectations on day one, right? And have them like us and want to do business with us. So please do not, wow, they found some hilarious pictures of me. Please do not laugh at them or tell them it doesn't exist. That's not the right approach. The goal of your meeting, and we have a three-part process. So right now we're focusing on the end of the process because I feel like the end is the part that most people do wrong, okay? But the goal of the meeting is definitely to build rapport. You want to have a very, very clear understanding of what they want. And then you want a commitment, everybody, 
Do we get a signed buyer agreement in this room? Yes. Yes. Thank you. Yes, we do. And everyone on Zoom land, signed buyer agreements, right? Yes, absolutely. Thank you, Marty. Okay. So assuming that you built the rapport, you did the needs analysis, you asked all the deeper questions, you went through the process, you set the right expectations, you know exactly what they want now, right? If you've done that process, you know what they want and you know why their needs are so important to them. The trick of doing the reality check well is understanding their why. And some of you know that I'm gonna talk about the circle of truth in a minute. You cannot problem solve for the client when what they want and what exists in the market don't align without understanding the deeper need. So if all I understood about Carrie's needs is that she needed a four bedroom house and I didn't know how she was gonna use the bedrooms, there's no way I could shift her to a two bedroom house with a den and a basement. Does that make sense? But it's, it's not about what the client tells you they need. It's about solving the core root of their problem. Make sense? That's what this process is all about. So once you have the signed buyer agreement, you don't move on to resetting their expectations until you get their commitment. Make sense? So make sure you're following the appropriate sequence. You're gathering all the information about what they need. Now, some of you who've been doing this for a long time, are you telling them when they're telling you what they need, would you consider this? Are you trying to shift their expectations real time? Most experienced agents do this, right? Because you're thinking, okay, Carrie wants a four bedroom. Her budget is 500,000. And so if I don't shift her to a three bedroom or a two bedroom with a basement, it's not going to work. So you start the process of shifting right away. I'm going to recommend that you don't do that. I'm going to recommend that you gather all of the information. You go deep on the why so you can problem solve after you get commitment. You don't take the risk of ruining that rapport or trying to push something on them, a change, until after you're using the facts of the market to support why you're asking about that information. Does that make sense? This is a big mistake. People do it on the phone, by the way. Every day, real estate agents do it because they say to themselves, this is a common thing, very common. I don't want to waste my time with John. I don't want to waste my time with John if he doesn't have realistic expectations. Guys, none of them have realistic expectations. So then instead, of, you're not even meeting with them to shift their expectations. You're trying to shift their expectations on the phone and you're killing the rapport before you've ever even looked them in the eye. Please don't do that. That's a mistake. Okay? So how do you handle it? The first thing that I recommend, once you get their commitment, before you start destroying their dreams and solving their problems, once you get their commitment, you get the signed buyer agreement, then I want you to focus on what has sold first, not what is active. And I want you to do it every single time. When you focus on what's sold in the last 90 days, 
and you go through and you put in all of their criteria, not your adjusted version of their criteria, hear me carefully here, their actual criteria, right? Then the next step, don't put their price range in. Write that down. Do not put their price range in. I teach my team how to do this. Then they have to test out with me. What do you think they do the first time they're testing out the majority of the time? They put the price range in because they're like, uh-oh, they told me this. I want to make sure I'm listening. It's a great thing because you want to meet the client's expectation. But here's the goal of the exercise. You want to tell them, like, look at this exercise right here. It's very easy. All you do is click the price. And I'm sure in each of your MLSs, it's slightly different, but it sorts by the price. So if I had a client that is looking for a property that's under 500,000 and based on their exact criteria, the price range for what they're looking for is 800,000 to 1.3 million. What feedback is that going to give the client about their expectation? Say it again. The market has spoken. You know, I would love it if we could find exactly what you're looking for in your price range. And the feedback that this is giving us in the last 90 days, we're 300,000 apart. But I don't want you to worry. This is how it starts with most of my clients. This is very common. So what's the next step once you tell them the price range? The circle of truth, yes, yes, absolutely. In between, I want you to normalize their circumstance, okay? Write that down. So when you see, oh dear God, what you want and the price you're gonna have to pay for it don't align, then you say, Gretchen, it's okay. This is what happens the majority of the time when we're looking and it's perfectly normal. It's human nature for you to have a long wish list of things that are important to you and to have a budget. That's completely normal. What does Gretchen think about me then? I love you. I understand her. I'm not judging her. Do you know, going back to that laughing lady, how many real estate agents make people feel smaller or stupid because they don't understand the market? This is a real thing, guys. And a lot of real estate agents with experience, they don't even know they're doing it. They're borderline condescending. I want you to be the opposite of that. And none of you want your clients to feel that way about how you interact with them, right? Okay, so once you tell them the range, what you're trying to do is find at least three homes they would have bought, okay? If you look at the last 90 days and they only would have bought one, what's the problem? They might know what they want, but is there a chance that the market is moving and that'll never happen again, right? And if there's only one, is it true that there are other buyers that are probably looking for that same thing? So what it tells me is the biggest, the biggest problem, huge problem, huge. If we have great rapport, if John feels like I understood what he wants, and I don't reset his expectations till there's three that would have come up. He leaves, he thinks Carrie's great. She's going to solve my problem, right? And then if I haven't reset his expectations and I start sending him actual homes to go look at and they don't match his criteria, what does he think about me? I don't know what I'm doing. I didn't listen. 
I don't care. The main thing he thinks is she doesn't care about me. I told her I need four bedrooms. And all she's doing is sending me houses that are two bedrooms because she didn't listen and she doesn't care. Now, the fact is the four bedroom doesn't exist. But if I haven't given him that expert feedback and I haven't shown him through facts about the market, I'm either destroying rapport or I'm setting myself up for failure in the future with him. And that's why a lot of clients never go out and look at homes once you meet with them. That's a fact. They don't. They end up renting, they end up doing something else, they end up meeting another agent at an open house. And the reason they do that is they keep doing research on their own until they shift their own expectations. Make sense? Hey, hold that thought. Do you wanna get 100 tips for free from my best-selling real estate book, The Hyperlocal, Hyperfast Real Estate Agent? If you do, go to hyperfasttips.com and you can download 100 of my best tips today. Again, that's hyperfasttips.com. You can download 100 tips on how to grow your business, get more clients, deliver more value to more people. Go to hyperfasttips.com. So we're going to use our circle of truth here. There are four factors that you can use to shift someone's expectations. And for us, I used to never have a tool that was in writing. I used to just draw it on a, a circle. I used to say, okay, guys, I understand where you are, Gretchen. I'm going to support you. We're going to figure out how to solve all of your problems, get you exactly what you want in a home and get it in a budget that you're comfortable with. Now, did I say in the budget she originally told me? I sure did not because most of the time, are they buying in the budget they originally told you? No, I'm going to tell you another mistake a lot of agents make. Okay, Gretchen told me her budget is 800,000. So I keep anchoring the $800,000 budget, okay? Listen closely. If I keep saying to Gretchen, well, I know your budget is 800,000. I know your budget is 800,000. Um, now this one's a little above 800,000. Then what am I doing to her? I'm getting her stuck at that number of 800,000. And do I know if it's more important to her to stay at 800,000 or to get what she wants in a home? For, well, thank you for saying that because a lot of your clients want what they want and they'll pay for it. But you're afraid of being a salesperson. You're afraid of being like other agents. I've heard all sorts of feedback about this, right? And so you become hypersensitive to their budget more than they are, okay? So for me, a really, really critical part of this process is having a lender that I trust right? I call the lender, write this down. Whenever I am meeting with a client, we call the lender. Here is my lender's process. Gretchen, your comfort zone is whatever Gretchen said her comfort zone is. I'll communicate that along with the financial details of Gretchen's situation, which if you follow our process, you will learn that in the needs analysis. You're asking about their annual income, debt, all of that. If any of you are struggling with the fact that you must do this, please find me at the break and I will help you fix that in your mind. Your mind is broken if you think you don't need to know the client's financial situation. It is broken. You cannot solve their problems without understanding their financial situation. Everybody say, yes, Carrie. Yes, yes Carrie. Do not chicken out. If you have weird emotions with money, 
leave it at the door because you can't solve your client's problems without knowing how to fix that in yourself. Got it? Okay, cool. So assuming I know her financial situation, here is the steps with the lender. Step one, the lender builds rapport for two seconds on the phone. My lenders have like three minutes to have this conversation in the buyer process, okay? If they don't have it, and if all of you aren't building that into your process, there's a problem because you can't get to the reality check. You can't do it the right way. If Gretchen's max qualification is 800, do I have that as an option when I'm moving her around the wheel? No, I do not. If she cannot go above 800,000, there's no money we can get from a family member. There's no 401k, I've already asked by the way. There's nothing else and her max qualification is 800. That's out of what we can move in the circle of truth. You guys get that? But if your lender process, this goes back to what I want you to write down, always, always, 100% of the time, starts with the lender greeting her, collecting the information from me, not from her. She's already told me all the information. I'm going to very quickly go through it with the lender to compress time, okay? Then the lender will say, great, Gretchen, based on everything you've just shared with me, you would be pre-qualified for 1.2, okay? At 1.2, your payment would be in this range, okay? If you follow our process, you know that you ask in the needs analysis, not only for the price range that they're thinking, but also for what? The payment they're comfortable with. Now, a first-time home buyer thinks differently than a move-up buyer. A first-time home buyer, how do they think about their budget? Monthly, all of them. There's no first-time home buyer, unless they're like a math wizard and very, very far outside of the normal. There's no first-time home buyer that's running around like, I'm comfortable between 250,000 and 252,000. That's just not how it works, right? So make sure that you're in your process. You're talking to the client and the numbers that make sense to them. Now, I would argue with you that a move-up buyer still thinks about their budget monthly. They don't think about their budget annually. So even if they understand it, when you're helping them move through the circle of truth, it is extremely important, extremely important that you talk to them in terms of monthly payment. Okay, my team, I'm not gonna put the rest of the group on the spot, so I'll ask you guys. Approximately, how much is it per month for $10,000 extra in sales price? Yes, okay. So if you're sitting in the hot seat with a client and you know, I'm gonna ask you guys to take out your phones since you know that I can't do math at all. Good news is I have simple hacks so I can come up with the answer quickly to move someone's expectations. So if Gretchen has told me, I just wanna stay around 800,000, right? And I know for her to get what she wants, that when I was looking at the listings, she's going to have to be somewhere around a million, right? If I want to have a $50,000 buffer and I want her to be able to go up from 800,000 to a million to a million 50, what's the impact of the price point? 
you know what? I'm going to walk you through how you get the information because you guys are getting 900, 1125, 300. So let's walk through the steps because I think this will help you in your, in your process. Okay. So what you would do is take the million 50, you would subtract 800,000, right? That's two, what? Okay. Then you would divide that by 10,000 and then you would multiply it by $45 a month. $900. Good job, Gretchen. Okay. So here's how I would present that to Gretchen. Amanda. Okay. Here we go. So I would say to Gretchen. Now, Gretchen, you've shared with me. I would say back to her the things she said were important. Now, this is a skill. I'm going to jump ahead in the slides. There's two skills I want you to learn. One is called stacking and one is called pecking. I just made this up last week. I love it. Okay. But here's why I realized that uh, the natural, when you're trying to move someone through the circle of truth, what comes naturally to agents is to do what I call pecking. John, would you consider increasing your price range? Carrie, how would you feel about moving a little further away from where you want to be? Marcus, if you could get everything you wanted, but you had to do a two bedroom instead of a four, would you wanna do that, right? So I just want you to listen to how that feels to the client. It feels like I'm pecking away at their dream. There is a time to use that skill, but typically it's not when you're trying to create massive movement in the conversation. You guys understand that? What you wanna do is put the most important priorities on top of each other. So if I know, whoa, you okay? Okay. If I know that Gretchen's price range will have to go up by about $800, let's say, in order for her to get everything that she wants, or the other big thing that could really move her, when we're looking at the circle of truth, there's price, there's also location. It might be, and once you know the market, when somebody's telling you what they want, how many of you guys already know what they have to shift in their expectation to have it work, right? For the newer agents, when I started doing this process, I didn't have a clue. I'll be honest with you. I was doing business from Fredericksburg to Baltimore. So I was studying the market live in the presentation with them using this process. For some of you that are new, you have to be able to do that because you don't know if they would only drop the garage, there would be 14 options and they would buy a house. You might not know that yet, okay? But in this case, my guess is in this scenario we have with Gretchen, it's gonna be price and location that are the two biggest things. So here's how I would present it. Instead of pecking at the price, I would say, Gretchen, let me ask you this. Price location. If we were able to get you all of the features that you want right in the Clarendon area, which I know is important to you because you really like, I'm going to reiterate that I understood what she likes about Clarendon. So she feels listened to and cared about. The process of shifting someone's expectations only works if they feel listened to and cared about. You guys get that? Okay. So I know what you love about Clarendon is X, Y, and Z, right? 
Would you rather stay in Clarendon and consider increasing your budget by about $800 a month? Or would you rather stay within your budget and consider living a little bit further away? Okay, great. So we'll just increase the budget a little bit and take a look. And then we shift right back into refocusing her energy on which houses she would have bought. Okay. You see how easy that was? If you have the qualification from the lender, it's really easy because most of the time they're qualified for a lot more than they're telling you is their price range or their comfort zone. So you know you have a lot of room there. But we all know some of the clients are super budget sensitive, right? So when we're using this circle of truth and we're using the skill of stacking priorities, sometimes you pick two priorities and the client isn't willing to give it all. So let's practice that for a second. So Gretchen, let's pretend that you're like, oh, hell no, I'm staying in Clarendon and I am not increasing my price range. And I'm walking everywhere. Okay, cool. So hit me with it and then we'll keep, we'll keep practicing here. I'm staying in Clarendon. I, um, I don't know that I feel comfortable $900 more a month, but it's really important to me and my family to be in Clarendon because of the lifestyle. Okay. So it sounds like you're really focused on Clarendon. Yeah. Yep. And the budget is something that's important. Do you feel like you have some flexibility there? If we needed to go up, say 500, is that something you would consider? I would consider that if we could find the the right house. Yeah. Okay. All right. Mm -hmm. So now I have some information. She, I have some movement, but based on the comps, you're looking at that price range, guys, and you're saying in your mind, here's what I need to shift. Do never do this. Would you consider paying $100 more a month if I could find you what you wanted? And she says, yes. And there's nothing. You just saw the list. Do the math before you make any comments. You guys get that? Otherwise, this process doesn't work. Because guess what? If I say $100 a month, and then we look. $200 a month, then we look. By the time I'm asking the third time, she's like, you don't know what you're doing. Yeah. And you're stupid, and I don't like you. (laughs) Right? So make sure that you only use... This is why when I teach people how to do this... You flip the computer to you. I'm going to do a little research here. Then you flip it back to them. Okay. So in this scenario with Gretchen, she says, I'll only go 500 up and I need Clarendon. Here's the other things I have in the circle of truth. I have features and I have home type. So she told me I want a single family home. The reason she wanted a single family home is because she wants a yard She wants to be able to have a fenced yard for her kids and her dog. And she just doesn't like the idea of being on top of her neighbors. I might ask her, would you consider a townhome if it got you Clarendon? It kept you in your budget that you're comfortable with. By the way, she just told me she's comfortable with 500 more. So am I going 500 up? Yes, I am. Even if I'm shifting to the townhome. Okay. So this is a peck right? Because I'm specifically focused on home type. I will do a stack and then a peck. That's my style. Cause I know once I get her to, to identify, I might use another stack if she says no to both completely, because if she says no to changing both, I'm probably going to need movement on the home type and the features. You guys with me? You always start with 
price and location? Not always. Start with home type and features. Not always. It totally depends on the situation. So as an example, I know if somebody says, I want a two-car garage in Clarendon, almost none of the single-family homes have two-car garages in Clarendon because of the lot width. So I may need to educate the client using market data and explain why that is, right? And so then I would say, let me ask you this. Here's a stack. Would you rather have the two-car garage and consider a townhome, or would it be more important to you to have a single family and perhaps consider a driveway for parking? What would you choose? Okay, so a condo or a townhome with a garage. Now, as soon as she says condo, I'm going to bring condos into it. You guys get that? So what we're doing here, guys, is helping the client get clarity on their priorities. Why do you think it's harder in real life to do this? Think about the real life scenarios you're in. Why is it harder in real life? The tech? You're dealing with the technology of actually having to go into MLS while they're looking at you and figuring all of this There's out. There's a bigger one. It's a lot bigger. Uh, the time is important, but that's not it. It's like way bigger. Oh, you're worried about losing them? Condition? No? No. Uncertainty? No. When I say it, you guys are going to be like, oh, Carrie, you're dealing with a couple most of the time. Oh. <laughs> How they would pick is not the same. It's the opposite. One of them is like, Clarendon, give me the $800 increase. And the other is like, that is stupid. We never walk to dinner anyway. And then you're dealing with the emotion of them choosing differently. You're normalizing that so they still like you and they like each other. Because if they get divorced and they're renting, it really doesn't help you. You don't want them to be angry with each other. You want to help normalize the fact that there are different things. So this is what I want you to go home and practice with this skill. Did this help everybody? Yes. Is everybody going to handle this a little differently now? Is everybody going to promise me you're going to integrate the lender into the conversation before you do the circle of truth? Yes. Promise? Okay. Some of you are like, mm, I don't know. So if you have a couple doing the initial meeting without having them both involved is a mistake. And when the, when the person, like, let's imagine the roles were reversed for a minute and you came to town first, okay? If your husband didn't understand all of the preliminary research, even if the wife was the primary decision maker, do we all understand that he can still totally sidetrack the deal and make it not work? Yes. So all of this work you're doing with the circle of truth to reset their expectations, you're doing it with both of them. And then you're getting them to talk openly about the needs they individually have. And you're trying to encourage them to be more open because what happens in a lot of couples communication when they don't agree? They shut down. You get one of them that's silent and pissed off. You get one of them that's getting more vocal and more clear on what's going to happen. <laughs> and then nobody buys a house, right? So it's really important that you get good at this skill. I want you to practice when you get home. Write down, Carrie says, I will practice stacking out loud. If you don't practice stacking out loud, you will remain peckers. Okay? 
I'm serious. It's what people do normally. It's what comes naturally. My team knows even when they try and do a stack, they end up with a pack sometimes, right? Yes. It's a skill. It's something you have to practice. Okay. If you have it, most of you in the room already have my course on this, but what's interesting, you haven't finished it. I know because I can see. You got through the first phase, you're like, oh, good, yes, okay, I'm really getting clear on this. You're like, everybody needs a buyer presentation. We get to use hers. This is amazing. And then you got busy and you didn't do the reality check analysis. I want you to practice this. If you are a team leader, you must get your agents in a room and have them practice this until they're good at it. And you have to test them out on it or have someone on your team who's really good at it, practice with them. Amanda, when you did this the first time, after listening to me teach you how to do it, did it go smoothly? Uh, no, <laughs> no. The first time I was all over the place because I, I was trying to really like think about the circle, remember the features or the, the price or the location and then figure out like, okay, I'm going to try and do price and location. And then how do I tell them they're getting what they want and not at the same time? <laughs> and how do so I make them like me while I'm communicating that there's going to have to be adjustments, right? Right. So how many times do you think now, how long have you been on the team? Three weeks. Three weeks. <laughs> how many times do you think you've practiced the skill of the reality check analysis out loud? Um, probably like 15 times. 15? At least. Yep. <laughs> Will you practice it more with real clients and then go back and practice it with your team? Yes, absolutely. So here's what I want you to take away from this. This isn't something you do one time. You hear about one time. And then it suddenly gets integrated into your presentation. If you don't practice it out loud, I promise you, you'll chicken out when you're with the client and you won't do it the right way. And it won't work for you. And I'm here because I'm here pregnant because I want it to work for you, right? So please, please, please star this as something you will take action on and you will practice out loud. And if you don't have the course yet and you're at home, by the course, guys. This is one of the courses I gave away for free with Krista Mayshore's offer too. So if you were on the fence about that one, it's going to walk you through exactly what to do. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Hyper Fat Show. Subscribe to us if you want to make sure you get the latest and greatest Hyper Fat Shows. And remember, we love reviews. Reviews help us bring better and better guests, improve our shows, and give us the good, the bad, and the ugly. We hope you enjoyed the show, and we will see you next time.